This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Well, the um, Amazon, right? Okay, so how many uh, Amazon shoppers? Probably, yeah, a bunch of us, okay. And so we, we get on Amazon, order stuff too. But the buy it now button. You use that, don't you? I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't use it. And uh, so I, I, I do that. I've used buy it now. It's so good. But, but Jen says that. Jen's my wife. And um, she says, like, don't, don't do that. Read the reviews. Because here's what I've discovered. That sometimes what you're buying on Amazon, you may not be getting what you think you're getting. I mean, not only... Just surprise things show up like they did at our house the other day. Um, we ordered a barbecue cover, and what showed up was a tent. <laughs> Go figure. Like, I opened up this round disc, and I didn't know what it was. And when I unzipped it and opened it up, all of a sudden, a tent literally in one second appeared in my living room. And then I had to figure out how to get the thing back together, and I had to watch YouTube videos, and it, it, was, it was odd. But um, she's like, got to be really, really careful, because sometimes what happens is what you purchase online may not be from the company that you think it's from. And so I've, I've learned to kind of read the reviews and look to see where it's coming from and this, this type of thing to be sure that I'm getting what I want. I'm, I'm receiving what, I, what I'm actually ordering from the company that I actually have one, one uh, little shopping experience a couple of weeks ago, read down to reviews, and it said this, be careful, because when I, when I received my order, it wasn't authentic. And I began thinking about that, and I thought, like, could it be that way with truth? That for some of us, we're like hitting the buy it now button, right? And accepting truth without really really diving in and seeing, is this really authentic? Is this really what we think it is? And a couple of weeks ago, you were here for part one of Truth Matters, talked about truth being like clay that is being formed and then we're offering it as truth and that's being sold as truth. And many, many people are hitting the buy it now button and go, that, that, that must be true without really stepping back and going like, is this true? And especially if you're a follower of Jesus, does this truth align with the Bible? And that's what this series is all about. So I'm going to do a little review real quick, just a couple minutes. And it's on your sheet here, and the fill-ins will come up on that. And if you want this sheet, um, you can also text in teaching to that same number, and you'll get that back in digital form, and you can fill it out digitally. But number one, truth matters, and where you get your truth matters. Can you say it with me? Truth matters. And where you get your truth matters. And the follow-up question is this. Like, where do you get your truth? Evening news? That's not going to do you very good. Social media? How's that? Now, some of us are hitting the buy it now button on, on social media. And some of us are hitting the buy it now button on, on news and the things that are coming into a home. Where do we get our truth? Our theme verse for this series is from Psalm 25, verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Whose truth? God's truth. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God, you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. 
So this is both a prayer and a commitment. It's prayer to God. Say, God, would you lead me and would you guide me in your truth as you reveal your truth to me through your Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, then I make a commitment to it. We'll be talking about that a little bit more. The truth revealed in the Bible, God's Word, is what I commit to as a follower of Jesus. Truth is not determined by man or based on my feelings. How many know that feelings will lead you astray? Right? Because when you got up this morning and you looked out and you saw the cloudy weather, how did you feel? I know for some of you felt great. For some of you, like, okay, the weather is whatever, whatever, whatever. But if we base truth on our feelings, what happens when our feelings change? And then whose feelings do we base truth on? So truth is not determined by you and me, is not determined by our feelings. These things cause us to follow our own way, stepping away from God's word. And this psalm, this prayer that I just shared with you, causes us to follow our own way. But we know that truth is based on the word of God. Everybody say, you know what the last word is, the Bible. The truth is based on the Word of God, the Bible. Therefore, truth is not relative. It's not. We're being sold that today, but truth is not relative. Number two, my feelings do not determine the truth. And thirdly, there is absolute truth. There is absolute truth. And is there if there is absolute truth, which there is, where do, we find, where do we find it? So that's kind of a quick review. And you can go back to part one of Truth Matters on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, or go back to our website, and you can dive in and get the rest of the teaching. But so just a huge welcome today. If it's your first time here, like, welcome. Thanks for dropping in. Thanks for being a part online. Um, uh, traditions has joined us, so welcome to Traditions today. Um, if if uh, you are one of those that we can't get rid of, yeah, I, I say thank you so much for being faithful. Faithful. The wisdom of the Proverbs applies, I believe. Um, speaking to children and a child's tendency to kind of go their own way. Have you noticed that? Sometimes. Um, whose child is exempt from that? N- none, probably. But the encouragement is to heed a parent's instructions. But I think there's so much value, of course, because it's the word of God for each and every one of us. Proverbs chapter 23, 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. And then verse number 23 is this, the wisdom of the Proverbs. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. This wisdom, in other words, you and I are to take a hold of and buy and invest in it that is in the Word of God. We're to spend whatever energy or whatever financial resources to discover and acquire this truth. It's that important. It's a commitment. That's why truth is both a prayer and a commitment. Do whatever you can to take hold of this truth. The truth we must seek, the truth we must purchase, We must invest in, as we're talking about, is discovered in the Bible. We must be people who commit to a biblical worldview in all of life. So I want to talk about that because everything that we talk about over the next number of weeks is going to be based 
on what does the Bible say. It's going to be based on having and forming a biblical worldview. Now, what's a worldview? So let me give you a definition. A, wor- a worldview is a set of basic beliefs, assumptions, and values that arise from a narrative about the world and produces individual and group action that shapes human culture. So it's a set of beliefs that shapes culture around us. This definition of worldview can be broken down into three parts. So you got your basic beliefs, a master story, and then action. So how do I respond in, with my worldview? What behavior is formed by my worldview? Every worldview you evaluate will contain these, these elements. So I want to talk about a biblical worldview. And so I've got a, a little bit of a diagram up here, and you can sketch it out, or it's also on, on your notes. But let's just talk about worldview first, because that's what we just did. So a worldview is a basic set of beliefs. So a basic set of beliefs is going to do a number of things. First of all, it's going to determine what you believe, your set of beliefs, how you, how you walk out life. These set of beliefs will form your values, and then will ultimately form your behavior. It always works out from the center. It never works in. Your behaviors do not determine your worldview. Your worldview determines your beliefs, your values, and your behavior. And so here's what we're talking about. The absolute necessity for believers, followers of Jesus, to have a biblical worldview um, about all of life, beginning with what does the Bible What does the Bible say? My beliefs, values, and ultimately my behavior reflects my worldview. So my biblical worldview is the foundation for my beliefs. Following me? My beliefs form my values and and my worldview forms my behavior in all of life. You see how that works. My biblical worldview determines my beliefs, forms my values, and forms my behavior. Tony Perkins said this, and it's on your, on your note sheet. Every Christian can and should obtain a biblical worldview, which is only achieved when a person believes that the Bible is true, authoritative, and then taught how it is applicable to every area of life, which enables them to live out those beliefs. Every Christian can and should have a biblical worldview. It really comes down to this simple question, like, what does the Bible say? So I remember one day, um, I was young. I don't know. I don't even remember, like, what age I was. But I was, like, junior higher before. And I, I was thinking about the future or something like that. I forget exactly what was forming my thoughts. But my mom was in the room, and I asked mom, I said, Mom, um, is it okay to daydream about stuff? You know, kind of think about life. And you know what she asked me? She asked me this question. She goes, what do you think the Bible says about that? What do you think the Bible says about that? And so for me, from a very young age, that question has helped to form the direction in my life. So forming a biblical worldview begins with, what does the Bible say about that? What's the Bible say? It's not just for adults, it's for everyone. It's for every young person, it's for every follower of Jesus. What does the Bible say? We believe that the Bible is true, 
We believe that the Bible is authoritative. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. So a biblical worldview is founded on the belief that absolute truth exists and that truth is defined by the Bible. I'm going to keep saying that over and over again because it forms the basis for everything that we believe about, about life. However, with all of that, guess what? There's a problem in the world today. And it's not just in the world, but the problem really exists amongst believers. You might find, I'm going to share with you a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to share with you some really disturbing statistics, and, and I'm going to, going to do that. Um, but from research from Arizona Christian and George Barna, four out of every 10 people, four out of 10, Believe that the Bible is the word of God and contains no factual or historical errors. That may seem like a high percentage to you, 41%. However, one out of every seven of those adults, or 14%, has a biblical worldview. Think about that now. Four out of ten believe that the Bible is authoritative and it's the word of God and contains no errors, but only one out of seven of those has a biblical worldview. And while that percentage is low, the biblical worldview of those with a skeptical, skeptic, are skeptics of the, of the Bible plummets to 2%. It gets worse. Because now let me kind of bring it home a little bit into um, our world and into my world just a little bit. According to the American Worldview Inventory, all Christian pastors what do you think the percentage of all Christian pastors is that has a biblical worldview? Just shout it out. 24%. 24%. You're not far off. 37% of all Christian pastors have a biblical worldview. It gets worse. Lead pastors. I'm not going to even ask you to guess. 41%. Do you see a problem with that? The, the people leading our churches, 41%, have a biblical worldview. Associate pastors, now, I'm not going to throw my team under the bus. I'm just going to read the stats here. I'll have something to say after this. Associate pastors, 28%. Teaching pastors, 13%. Children's pastors and youth pastors, 12%. Executive pastors, where would you put the figure? Yeah, 4%. These are people leading our churches. I am grateful, and I can say this with confidence, that these stats and positions do not represent the senior leadership team at Gateway. I will tell you that. I will 100% tell you that. We talk about it. We talk about it throughout Gateway. We talk about it throughout the church. We talk about it throughout our schools that we live from and we teach from a biblical worldview, always asking, what is it that the Bible is saying? How does Jesus speak to us in this area of life? And we're committed to that. Now, how can you tell if a faith community, a church, or in our case, our church and schools, how do you tell if they've moved away from a biblical worldview? And what are the potential signs? I share with you, I was going to share that with you, of what does it look like to be a progressive church? Elisa Chowlers, and many of you have read, I think, her book on, on um, another gospel. 
um, shares five signs of what it may look like um, for a progressive church. And although it's hard to always pin, pin down what a progressive church is or progressive Christianity, it often includes revisionist or, non, or non-traditional view of Scripture. And you'll see that below. Now, I want to be really careful here that we're not, you know, we're not painting with a, with a wide, wide brush, but I believe these things are true, and this is why I'm sharing it with you. So what are the five signs of a potentially progressive church or a church that has moved away from a biblical worldview? Number one, there is a lowered view of the Bible. A lowered view of the Bible. Personal belief is emphasized over biblical mandate. Personal belief. And I will just toss in there um, the, the worldview that we're, we form in ourselves. <clears throat> Comments you might hear, the Bible is a human book or the Bible contains the word of God. Do you see the difference? The Bible is the Word of God, or does it simply contain the Word of God? And what do we believe? That the Bible is the Word of God. So there's a Lord view of, of, of the Bible. Number two, and we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, feelings are emphasized over facts. Feelings, direct beliefs, values, and behavior. Feelings are emphasized over facts. Personal experience and feelings tend to be valued above objective truth. The Bible ceases to be viewed as God's definitive word. What the person feels to be true becomes the ultimate authority. And so, again, the illustration of clay being formed, right, and saying, like, here's the truth because I feel this is the truth. This is where my heart goes. Comment that you might hear is this. I just can't believe Jesus would send good people to hell. And so someday we'll unwrap that a little bit. Number three, essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. One progressive author wrote this, There are no sacred cows. Tradition, dogma, and doctrine are all fair game because all pass through the hands of flawed humanity. Progressive Christians are often open to redefining and reinterpreting the Bible on hot-button issues. The Bible really didn't mean that. The Bible really means this. Comments you might hear. The the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be factual to speak truth. And the church's historic position on sexuality is archaic and needs to be updated within a modern framework. Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Historic terms are redefined like the inspiration of the Bible and the concept of love. Comments or thoughts you might hear, the Bible is inspired in the same way and on the same level as many other Christian books or sermons. God wouldn't punish sinners. He is love. Now just think about it. Let me kind of illustrate this way. This would be me saying to you that what I'm teaching you today is inspired on the same level as the Bible. If you were to hear me say that, I would trust that somebody's going to come up and correct me, and you might do it while I'm teaching. I'm going to, and I'm saying this, please do that. There's nothing that stands beside the Word of God. There's nothing at all. There's no Christian book 
as good as they are, that help us to understand, there is nothing that stands alongside of the word of God. Number five, the, and pl- listen closely to this one, please. I'm going to explain it. The heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. It shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. Now, the reason I say, please listen to me carefully, because the Bible does call you and me to be people uh, all about social justice and reaching out to the oppressed. The Bible calls us to that. But the gospel message is all about the freedom that you and I have, hearts changed, free from the sin that we were born into. That alone is the gospel message, and the gospel message is what frees people from a life of bondage. That's why we teach it, and that's why we believe it. The Bible talks about, and Jesus talks a lot about reaching out to the oppressed. He does. But the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save who? Lost people. It's a changed heart. The core message of Christianity, the gospel, is that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and resurrected, thereby reconciling us to God. This is the true freedom that Jesus has come to offer you and me. But what are the implications of born-again believers having a biblical worldview or not having a biblical worldview. I think the Apostle Paul kind of paints a picture for us in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, he says, if we are people of the truth, we are people of the Word of God, we will no longer be immature children, immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Do you see what Paul is saying to you and to me? He said, if you and I commit ourselves to the word of God, we won't be like immature children who are tossed around and blown and pulled this way and that way by every new teaching. We won't be that way. But the opposite is also true, I believe. That if we don't learn to stand on the word of God, if we don't go to the word of God for the answers that, we're, that we are being asked today, we will be those people who are pulled this way and pulled that. We'll be hitting the buy it now, building on, buy it now button on truth all the time, and we won't know what we're giving, getting. We must never move away from the Bible as being the very center of our beliefs how we conduct ourselves, and how we live. The Bible is our anchor. It's the very thing that anchors us to absolute truth. It's why I beg people, it's why I implore you to be people of the Bible, to read the Bible. I don't understand everything in the Bible. No human being does, but I believe this. We immerse ourselves in God's word. The spirit speaks to us and we receive guidance and truth from the inspired word of God. It's absolutely necessary for you and for me to, to, to be people who live from a biblical worldview. We allow the Bible to form our beliefs, to form our values, and to form our behavior. That's not a bad place if you're a church person who says amen, I think, to kind of like maybe, maybe say an amen there. We must be those people. Now, we're going to practice a little bit this morning. And if you didn't pick up your worksheet, just like write on your neighbor's arm or something like that. And uh, we're going to practice because 
what we're going to do is we're going to look, I'm going to share with you a commonly misinterpreted um, scripture in the Bible. You, you hear it a lot. I hear it a lot. I see it posted. People say it. Um, but what we're going to do is I'm going to take this, this quote and this scripture, we're going to place it right in the middle, and we're going to ask this question, what does the Bible say? And form a biblical worldview on one of the most misquoted or misunderstood biblical passage or statements that you hear today. There are a lot of them, I will just tell you that, and I'm just selecting one. How many have ever heard the Bible says, don't judge me, or some form of that? All the time. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that ye may not be judged. It's being used this way to basically say, don't tell me what to do or where I'm wrong. Don't judge me or you're going to be judged. But what, is, what does the Bible mean? Does this mean that we cannot make a determination between right and wrong or use discernment? Is that what that means? Does it mean that we, are, we don't judge? That word judge, I understand, carries a lot of um, emotional feelings sometimes to it. But what is it that the Bible says? And what you're hearing out there is not true. From people get, look, don't judge me or you'll be judged. The Bible says don't judge. No, actually the Bible calls you and me to judge. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. So we're going to put that right in the middle of our of our chart right here, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that ye may not be judged. Reading further, as we begin to expand the Bible, see the problem that we sometimes have is that we proof text. So we take one scripture and then we build our theology, we build our doctrine on one scripture without looking at the context um, that is set in or other scriptures to help us understand what the Bible is actually saying. Reading further, Jesus commands us to do this. First, take the log out of your own way, own eye, and then you will see clearly to take a speck out of your brother's eye. That sounds like judging to me. But Jesus is speaking to something that's very, very important. Because when he says, judge not that you may not be judged, Jesus is speaking about our own attitude or the spirit from which judgments come. And we have to be careful of that. That's the warning here. Jesus gives further teaching on judging in John chapter 7, verse 24, as we explore the Bible. Let me read it to you. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. We are to judge correctly and with the right attitude. So let's do this. Let's talk about our beliefs then based on the Bible. Here's, what, here's, what, here's how the Bible forms our, our beliefs then. Number one, the Bible teaches me to discern right from wrong, to form a conclusion based on God's word and in the right attitude. I don't judge on my own feelings because here's what would happen. You, you, how many have been stolen from? I mean, a lot of us, right? We've been stolen from. Someone keys my car. The only judgment I have for that person is the death sentence. You get what I mean? So like, of course, that's not true, but, you know, but, but if we allow our feelings to determine um, our beliefs, we have a problem. That's why, that's why I keep saying, like, truth is not based on feelings. 
The Bible teaches me to discern right from wrong, to form a conclusion or opinion based on God's word, and then in the right attitude, let's admit, sometimes our attitude isn't always right. So my beliefs come from the Bible, from the word of God. The, my beliefs form my values then. So what are my values saying? I value accountability and my faith community. So because I believe that the Bible calls us to discern and to judge and to draw an opinion based on God's word about life, I value accountability and a faith community. And so when I talk about accountability, I'm talking about people, circle of friends that provide me with godly counsel and or exhortation. Exhortation, I have described exhortation and encouragement this way. Encouragement is kind of a little you know, pat on their shoulder, and an, and an exhortation is more like a kick in the rear end, right? So I need that. We all, we all need that. I value that. So my biblical belief, what the Bible teaches, forms my values for the need of accountability and a faith community. That's why I believe church is so important. And when and if I get it wrong, the most loving thing I can experience is correction by a brother or sister in the Lord. Another place for an amen, because here's what happens. I am not going to tell you I love correction. <laughs> I mean, I, sometimes like there's something in me that goes like, oh, okay, okay. And immediately what we want to do is defend ourselves. But if I've, if I've allowed the Bible to form my values, I will embrace the correction, the loving correction of another brother in, in Christ, someone who's in my accountability circle and in this faith community, that would be that would be you. We need one another. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that, that Jesus is an act of love called out sin. We need that from one another. That's why we're to be in community together. So my, my uh, beliefs are formed by the Bible. My values are formed by my beliefs. And then finally, my behavior, my actions towards others will exemplify Jesus and the love he had toward others, never sidestepping sin or wrong actions, but lovingly without condemning or, uh, others, urging others toward righteousness. So my behavior then um, is Christ-like. My actions must be Christ-like. Over the next number of weeks, we'll be focusing on issues that each of us are faced with today and during and doing what I, I just said, we're going to ask this question. What does the Bible say? How, how are my beliefs being formed? What are my values based on my beliefs? And then how am I to act towards others? Because I understand and know that it's really, really difficult sometimes. During the next few weeks, I want to do my very, very best to teach with biblical clarity, biblical conviction, and biblical compassion as we face issues like life. Going to be talking about life matters. Where does life begin and what's our role as a Bible-believing community? We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about what we're doing and some new things that you've not heard about yet. So how does a Bible form my opinion about life? When does life begin, and what's the value of life? We'll be talking about that. We are being confronted with that daily. 
But we must be people who come to the word of God for instruction. We allow our beliefs to be formed by the word, not our feelings, and our values flow out out of our beliefs and our behavior. We'll be talking about biblical sexuality. What does the Bible say about sexuality and what is honoring of God? It may be a PG-13, I don't know, but I will let you know, for those of you who have younger kids, we're gonna be talking about parents. Why? Um, What's our role as parents? And you're going to hear me say this. It doesn't begin with your church. You're like, whoa. No, it doesn't begin there. It doesn't begin with your Christian school, if you're in Christian school. It doesn't begin with your home school. It doesn't begin, you have kids in public school. Where does it begin? We're going to be talking about that. And I I just implore you to be here if you're a grandparent, parent, Single parent, I was raised by a single parent. Most people know that. Doesn't matter, we're going to be talking about that. Then we're talking about, then, a faith community. Why is it so necessary that we be connected to a faith community? Why can we not live a life of solitude? And why does church matter? And the reason we're going to talk about that is because you're hearing about a huge walk-away movement. We're going to be addressing that. The Bible, our source for truth, speaks to every one of these issues and every other issue in life. And while our understanding of truth matures, and I pray that it does, our source for truth remains. That's why we will be going to the Bible. Truth matters, and where you get your truth matters. Why can the Bible be trusted as the source for truth? Just, just one word, and... Maybe we'll get into it more later because it is the inspired word of God. That, that is why. And so where do we begin? Here's where we begin. We always begin with this question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? So when you're confronted um, with issues in life, whatever they are, we begin with what does the Bible say? And we allow the Bible to form our beliefs, to form our values, and to form our behavior. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to gather in communion together. I just want to ask you this question. What do you think Jesus might be saying to you today? What do you think Jesus is saying to you? Um, what do you think the Spirit is kind of nudging you in, in particular? Maybe, it, maybe it's in a certain belief or certain value. What is he saying to you today? Because what I'd like to do is pray and, and then take whatever that might be and just lift it up to him. Then we'll, we'll gather in communion in, in just a few moments. If, if you didn't grab your communion elements when you came in, um, you can just fake it, I guess, or join in, right? We'll gather around, go around the table and give him thanks. Um, so, Father, in these moments, I would ask that you would speak to every one of us, myself included. Um, I'll just invite your spirit to nudge us, Lord, um, in the way that you want us to go and that we would respond to that. Help us to be people who are committed um, to following you and your word. It's hard sometimes not to depend upon our feelings. It's hard for us sometimes to, to, to... Sometimes for some of us just to take the next step, but I am so thankful that you have promised that you would guide us in the next step as we trust in you. So God, I believe that you are speaking to us in this building here and online. And like we've said so many, before, so many times before, you, you, never, 
You never put your finger on something in our life, we call it conviction, um, to make us feel condemned or unworthy or uncomfortable. You do it for one reason. That's to make us more like you, to draw us close to you. So I would pray that we would respond to that in this moment, I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion together, so you at home, grab something if you haven't already, and again, if you forgot yours, just we'll gather around the table and get, give thanks for his body that was broken in just a moment. The team's going to lead us in worship, and you can take, take the bread on your own, and then when you're ready, just, just receive the cup. And as we do, let's give thanks, shall we, for who he is and, and his great, deep love for you and for me.
one.